Hello, and welcome to episode 621 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. You guys know me. I don't really bet on games in the form of sides and totals. I'm trying to win, and I think the margins there are incredibly small, especially in the NFL. But what I and we do love to do, where we know there is an edge, is in player props. To discuss player props today, I am joined by two members of our props team. You all know Drew Dinkmeyer, who led the NBA props team to an outrageously strong performance on insane volume last season. Drew, how's it going? It's going great. And I know you're only into props, but if you're not live betting the moment, you know, Jack Sinner grabs at his ankle and starts to feel like a little a little bit of a calf cramp there. I don't know what you're doing with your life, Adam. Like, get it together. Start live betting some tennis as well. Oh, baby. Live betting tennis is a lot of fun. Also today, thrilled to introduce Court Smith, Formerly of Rotoviz, been a huge player in all the player props markets for the last few years. We've been following his work and results. Super pumped to have him on our props team this year. Court, welcome, buddy. How's it going? Thanks. It's good, man. Lines are popping. We're back. I think we have some weekend lines up. Thursday night slate is pretty much full. So it's a good time to be alive, man. I'm pretty happy right now. Yes, we have already fired four props into the Thursday night game. Great time to be alive. Before we get into it here today, if you are interested in what we're talking about today, player props, I am begging you, begging you to read the FAQ on the site under the props tab. We're going to release plays probably 20 plus per week, hopefully more. We have a full team behind this. We will move the markets and move them very quickly because the books know we're winning. But honestly, please do not sign up if you cannot grind this prop stuff extremely extremely hard and please read the faq do not sign up if you can't do both of those things note that our detailed stat projections do come with the props package those are released on saturday afternoons if you want to hunt for your own props you can do that on saturday and sunday with the help of our projections if you have the sub also discord community for props we've got hundreds of really active people who are also serious enough to join a place like this it's the best place to talk nfl player props online again can't reiterate enough please 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 do not sign up if you can't grind this extremely hard and if you haven't read the faq all right let's get into it here on player props i I think the first thing that comes to mind why you know people i'm sure there's tons of casual people out there why is the edge in props greater than it is in sides or totals I, i have an answer to this i think dink but why don't you go ahead on why player props has a bigger edge than sides and totals. <clears throat> yeah, I think there's a number of things. Uh, first and foremost, and we don't issue uh, a lot of news-based props, but a player's individual performance is more likely to be impacted by news or situations injury-related than the overall team impact. The most impactful players in any sport in terms of their impact on a total or a team's um team total or spread would be a few points here or there at at maximum. You're not getting a ton of value, but on the individual players, there's a lot of variance associated with an individual player's role and their outcome relative to the other players on the field. So just understanding that there's a lot more variance in the individual player stats than there is in the overall game, which leads that variance leads to opportunities and, uh, and disjointed natures of, of markets. In addition, the, the props market is a big board that's covering everything often. And because when you set aside our total, you only have to cover two things in a game. 
it's probably a little bit easier to dial those in. You also get the benefit of liquidity in those markets where people are betting into them more actively and giving you information to help set those lines. On the player side, covering the whole board, a little bit less liquidity, this opens up the opportunity uh, for a lot more opportunistic betting. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's market-based court. Like uh, the biggest thing is market-based. Books are taking 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, six figures on an NFL side come Sunday on player props, maybe the limit is 500. I mean, they don't really care that much. Now, certain books have gotten to care more than others, but the liquidity part of it is the biggest thing to me, why the lines aren't as sharp and we can win at a higher rate court. Any more thoughts on why player props is the beatable market in NFL? Yeah. I mean, I think Drew alluded to the big thing there. Just the attack surface is immense, right? Like, my, uh, my database last year for player props, I think, ended up with about 21,000 rows of, of bets. So, I mean, you know, you're looking at sort of like 800, 1,000 each week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, these sports books are really just not equipped to adjust everything and stay on top of everything. Um, you know, maybe they would be if they, if they were taking more liquidity, uh, but they're not. So you can kind of understand why they're not taking two three thousand dollars on these because you can't really do that when there's a thousand bets available each week right and that's the thing there's a thousand lines up there in player props we're going to bet somewhere between 20 and 40 probably uh each week i mean we're just you know going through and uh, people are like oh why don't you guys uh, you know and books have approached us they're like why, why, why don't you guys just uh set the lines for all the prop markets buddy buddy i slash we have zero desire I'm going to not be able to sleep because I'm going to think that we missed something and all it takes is one mistake on a thousand lines that are up there on the board for us to get completely buried. So, yeah, I think that's all really well said there. Um, to Dink's point quickly, like if Isaiah Pacheco is ruled out on Thursday night, game line's not going to move, but props lines are going to move massively. Obviously, we know Pacheco's playing, but I'm just giving an example. Even better players, people don't realize like, there's so few players that matter for a game line. All right. Why can we win? Another thing that I think is important to understand is this whole idea of mean, median, and overs and unders. And so this has changed, I think, somewhat in the market. When I first started doing this, I don't know, four, five, six years ago, and I was just betting props for myself, you could just blindly bet every under and win because books, for whatever reason, could not grasp this whole idea of mean median. It has changed a lot, a lot, a lot now. But Court, why don't you explain to the people the whole idea of mean median in the NFL and how that leads to over-under stuff and where you think the market is at now with uh, uh, with uh, lining their players mean versus median? Yeah, I think even as recently as two years ago, you could pretty much guarantee that if a player's line was set at a number you could pretty much guarantee you could go into you know reference sports reference or whatever and that would be his average you know his his mean week to week and it was great because yeah there was really no kind of concept of uh the median being lower than the mean and it was quite literally just at least for openers setting these at uh their mean but of course it doesn't really work that way because often what happens um, on, on lines like uh, rushing yards and receiving yards, the mean gets sort of pulled up by those outlier results. You know, a guy can go 50 yards, 60 yards, 70 yards, 130 yards, and all of a sudden that mean's going to be up around 70. Uh, but really, 
uh, when you're talking about these kind of binary over under results, like we don't care about that. You know, we don't lose extra money when the guy goes off uh, and we're on the under 60.5. So we really don't care about those ones that much. We really care about, you know, where, you know, where the bulk of his distribution is landing uh, on these props. So yeah, books have certainly got sharper on that. I think we're seeing, especially last year, I really noticed it in uh, NFL. Drew, I don't know if you noticed that for NBA, but really starting to see these lines, I mean, just come down in general, but much closer to sort of a, a median yeah. result. I mean, the whole idea, I think, to get to your head, into people's head, we're not playing DFS here. We do not get extra points if we bet Tyreek Hill over 80 yards and he goes for 200. We do not get extra money for winning that bet. In DFS, obviously we get that outsized result. And so, yeah, you know, understanding the difference between mean and median is very, very important. We are working with medians in the back end for our props. I think an example, though, Dink, is that on the NBA side, you can take way more overs, it seems. And I know your team has taken way more overs than we have on the NFL side. What do you think about this whole over-under mean-median stuff? Yeah, the big difference when you think about it compared to NBA is simply kind of the wider range of outcomes with respect to NFL. Uh, as Court alluded to there, you'll get like, you know, 50, 50, 70, 130. In NBA, with a player's like points, you might get like 20, 18, 22, 27, 31. You're not going from like 20 to like 60. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the the gap and the disparity between the median and the median aren't as wide in NBA as they are in NFL. And so in NBA, that allows the books to set lines based off of the mean, which is actually a little bit more appropriate. And we find our edges not necessarily just by mean median distribution differences, but more so by understanding kind of the impact of things that are happening around that player in terms of the rotation players available the matchup so on and so forth yeah okay i think some people you know we're very we've put like insane 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 amount of work into our projections insane 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 amount of work into simulating the distribution to help us with props just massive massive money and time and people into it and so i think it's intuitive to say oh you guys have these amazing projections, amazing distributions, amazing simulations. Why can't you just bet straight? Why do you need people to look at this stuff? Why can't you just do it automated? And my response to that is always that I don't think that's enough to win. I think you need to have that stuff as the baseline and then also have people who are really in tune with football and what's going on to figure it out. So I think there's like some blend of soft skills and obviously having the data as the backbone Court, as you've been doing this the last few years, what do you think about this whole mix between projection-based and kind of soft skill-based betting on props? Yeah, I mean, I think you can win both ways. I think that, uh, you know, as far as the sort of soft capping, the soft approach is probably where I've been coming from a little bit the last years. I certainly use projections, use ETR projections and some of the other market projections out there uh, as a reference. But I think I personally am I'm a little bit more willing to stray from projections uh, just based on kind of contextual stuff, um, stuff that the market might not be considering or over considering. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's ultimately the best approach is going to be a blend of both. I think when you can get those really strong projections and to be clear, I think you could probably just go straight off projections if you like if you have something as good as ETRs and show a solid ROI. But ultimately, I think in this game, like you really do want that mix of 
the strong quantitative side mixed with sort of the uh, domain knowledge and understanding the context. And I think that's the way that you can kind of stay winning in this game long term for all these curveballs the markets are going to be throwing you and, and evolving. Um, having the understanding of the baseline numbers, how the markets are moving, as well as kind of having that domain expertise is, is going to keep you in the winning column. So I think that's where we kind of excel at, at ETR of, of having a bit of both. For sure. And, and along those lines, I think we could win, you know, let's say we only took things that our projection showed a 30, 40% edge on each week. There might only be like, I don't know, two, three of those a week and we could have a really, really high win rate on those, right? 70% or more, you know, but I, I want to be clear that we're trying to win actual dollars here, not be able to say that we hit at 70%. So a seven and three record is great and all. It's a 70% win rate. I would much rather be 70 and 50. That's only a 58% win rate, but we're winning so much more actual dollars, so many more actual units. And so that's kind of the philosophy that we take we're also not betting until stuff is widely available so we're talking on multiple books offshore etc cetera, etc cetera. we're not betting openers where liquidity is really low um even lower than it normally is in the props market so i just wanted to make that part of it clear here all right let's talk about some actual market stuff the books that are i think the best for liquidity in the domestic market would be FanDuel and Caesars. Now, tons of other books, DraftKings and others, have tons of props up. They are not as liquid. They don't take as much action. They're not willing to take as much action. They remove stuff quicker, et cetera, et cetera. Think, what do you think about the current state of books? Do you agree about FanDuel and Caesars? Any other books that you want to shout out for at least being reasonable on props? No, I would agree on those too. I would also just highlight sort of what you alluded to, which is certain books may have wider offerings, meaning more props available, and just understanding sort of the relationship that that comes with for limits or pulling the lines or different things. Because just if you think like logically, if a book has more avenues to have to cover in terms of things, when money comes in on one of these extra avenues, that they're trying to cover, they might be quicker to pull that or adjust really aggressively because they are trying to put out volume of things. They're trying to get as many volume of bets and understand that they might not be as accurate with the lines that they put out. So what that means is these sites like DraftKings that might have a wider offering, they might be more likely to pull the bet quickly or limit you quickly or limit your bet size, so on and so forth. Whereas the, the books that have a smaller number of offerings might be more willing to take more liquidity on it simply because they're having to cover uh, less ground in terms of the avenues. So I agree that FanDuel and Caesars, if FanDuel especially, they, you know, they seem to generate all their own lines. So they have unique lines relative to the market as well, which will often create opportunities where you might be able to get a better line on FanDuel than somewhere else because they feel really good about it. Now, if they feel really good about it, it might be a sharper line <laughs> also but it might look like a better line if you're if you're looking for a side on it so i agree fanduel and caesars are great places to get liquidity caesars can move pretty quickly in terms of uh in terms of reacting to multiple bets coming in on on a position but um those two are the ones that liquidity wise you feel pretty confident in and lim limiting wise uh generally you have a little bit more leeway i, I want to be clear here and i know i've said this a million times before being able to win in this game 
is only like 50% of the battle. Being able to get down and being able to actually bet and keep accounts live is the other 50%. And I don't want anyone to fool themselves into thinking that that latter half uh, is easy because it is certainly not. And that's why our prop subscription, a big reason why, one of the many reasons why our prop subscription is a weekly thing. If you lose accounts, if you can't get down, whatever, uh, it moves too fast, just quit. You know, it's a weekly thing. Just just quit it is what it is. Um, I will say that I think people probably don't put enough effort into keeping their accounts live. And I understand that it's hard. And there's so much debate about this. And it varies by book and it varies by year. But we just need to say the truth. Sports books, and you can debate this all you want. Sports books, they're running a business. They do not want winning players, period. If they think you're a winning player, they're going to restrict you and allow you to bet less money. So if you think you have an edge, and we know we have an edge betting player props, you should be thinking about this from the minute you open your account on a book. By the way, sign-up bonuses are on the site under the props tab. But anyways, so if you bet stuff that I think a dunk or a normal casual or whatever some guy in the bar does, he's going to go bet primetime games. He's going to bet Island NFL games. He or she is going to bet overs on Patrick Mahomes. He or she is going to not bet WNBA. He or she is not going to bet uh, the first quarter line of some FCS college football game, right? So I'm thinking about all this when I have an account. I want to be mixing in some things like Chiefs minus six and a half or whatever, you know? Now, obviously I think that stuff is losing and losing small. You don't want to overdo it and torture your account, but just anything to keep your account clean, I think is worth talking about betting size and totals, making parlays with favorites, same game parlays with a bunch of favorites. Just all this stuff that we know super casual people do and are losing all the time. We're just trying to disguise our play a little bit. It's just worth mentioning, I think, to make, in effort. All right. Part of that, I think, is when to bet court. And there's an art to this as well. Obviously, there's going to be openers. There's been uh, so much debate about openers. Should you be betting openers? Who's betting openers? You know, this goes to the sides and totals market as well. If you read uh, Billy Walter's book or seen any of his interviews, he talks so much about how he thinks he could have won a way higher rate on openers. He knows he would have won a high, way higher rate on openers, but he waited to bet until right before the game because that's when he could get the most money down. That applies to every betting market, period. We are not betting stone cold openers because liquidity is so low. There is still an art, though, I think, about when to bet court. Any thoughts about the NFL props market and when people should be looking to bet? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're more in the casual uh, category and not trying to make a living off this, then you should certainly be monitoring openers, hitting them as much as possible. Uh, getting in front of the market on those. If you see a line that is uh, not great and you think it's not great, then it's probably not great and you should probably get it now. Obviously, it's a little bit different for for us, um, you know, running a subscription service. We have, we have to keep in mind that we want to get widely available stuff out to people and not just bet pure openers. Um, but yeah, if you're betting for yourself, I mean, I think that's the big thing that we've seen in the last few years is a lot more eyeballs on these openers, a lot more people that have sort of a basic understanding, uh, you know, good groups out there like ETR and others that have been educating people um, as to how to attack these markets. And they sort of can now look at these openers and say, uh, that number doesn't quite look right. And if you're a casual and you want to get out ahead of groups like, like us, 
um, you should be betting those early. Same thing with spreads and totals. Uh, most of the successful people I've seen uh, betting spreads and totals are hitting them on like Monday, Sunday night type of thing. And that's where they're getting most of their action down here, assuming they can get some decent down. Um, because yeah, that's going to be your best chance at finding a number that doesn't make much sense. And really, that's what we're trying to do here is, is find numbers that don't make much sense. And early week is your best chance of finding those. Yeah, I, I, they do release some new stuff Saturdays and Sundays. And we actually got a ton of bets yeah. on Sundays last year and on Saturdays as well. I mean, over 70% of our bets were Friday, Saturday, Sunday last year and i think i think that's allowed us to get a bit more volume last year we ended up with 350 uh i'm sorry 530 bets in the nfl hit 58.1 percent the year before we weren't looking on saturday and sunday as much and we only got 334 bets off did win 64.6 percent of those think your volume on the nba side props has been pretty static the last two years 1246 bets 60.2% 60.2% win rate in 21-22. And then last season, 22-23, 1155 bets, 60.6% win rate. Any thoughts, Dink, on when to bet and getting a volume of bets down? Yeah, NBA obviously just different, you know, daily games versus uh, weekly games. The one thing that I want to highlight is just in terms of you, the the better out there, think about what a sportsbook is trying to do with when they're setting lines, right? The first, the first lines that they put out, they want to get information from the market. They want to get information from the market so that they can hone those lines to be as efficient as possible, right? So that they don't have to necessarily take outsized positions on one side or be exposed to one side because they've laid out a line that uh, the majority of the market thinks is inefficient. So what they're going to do is they're going to lay out a line <clears throat> early in the week and they're going to take limited action on that whether it's lower limits on the individual bet, whether it's taking it down when there's limit, uh, bets that come in on it and then readjusting. The closer you get to kickoff of games, the more that the market has pushed, you know, slightly nudged that line into what is considered efficient or correct. And that's why the people who have their own information that are betting professionally, some of those people are waiting till the last second because that's when they know they can get the most money down. So if you think about your edges and understanding your edges, if you think you have really high edges and you're trying to get a lot of money down, the best time to bet is not going to be right at release because you're not going to be able to get as much money down before the market is moved in the direction of the bet that you're placing. So sort of understanding where you are in the ecosystem in on the spectrum of you know, account that has been flagged as likely a professional versus someone with a clean new account might help you understand where you can take advantage of making bets and when to bet. Because if you do have that new clean account that nobody uh, nobody has seen you bet into, that might be a, a, an account that you want to be taking advantage of betting openers and different things like that. But if you have an existing you know, account, you're going to get much more liquidity down the closer you are to game time, the more that number has been put into a position that the market deems as efficient. For sure. Um, wanted to end here on things for people. Actually, no, before I get to that, I wanted to talk about a couple different markets. We have mostly bet uh, yardage over unders and reception and pass attempt and rush attempt over unders, those kind of markets. We have not bet things like, will George Kittle's longest catch be over or under 13 and a half yards in Sunday's game? 
Um, there are tons of markets like this out there. And we realize that in order to do this, uh, in order to attack these the right way, we need to have simulations to show us the distributions of exactly what will happen. And that was kind of the first impetus for us to go down the path of simulation. So I'm excited about these kind of markets, markets that people typically don't look at. And so that is one thing I'm excited about for this year, some of these new markets, at least for us to look at. Um, okay, before we get out of here, things to watch out for, man. I mean, I, I'm even like uncomfortable doing this because there's so many bad actors in this space of people who aren't win, can't win, can't help people win, um, don't move the market. You know, I am very skeptical if people are not moving the market. Not 100%, but if they're not moving the market, they're probably not winning. And, you know, like we see this all the time. People think that they're winning, you know, like some of these pick them sites on like underdog and prize picks. People are talking about how they, how much, how often they win, what their, what their win rate is. You know, there is massive, massive, massive juice. I'm sorry. There is massive house advantage for the site built into those. And so I would just be real careful about looking at straight record. If someone isn't actually showing you in ROI, we list the ROI next to all of our records. We were at 13.9% last year in NBA, 9.5% in NFL. And like, those are like really, really, really good ROIs in betting. I think some people think they can come out and win 30% ROIs and plus it's just almost impossible. And if you are doing that, you probably are not betting the volume as we talked about um, at the beginning. So yeah, I don't know, Court. Any other warnings for people out there to be careful on with the whole market? I know you've been in this space for a while. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's just so many people now in the market. There's a lot of noise. It is very difficult to kind of discern what's what. I think one way of doing it is, are they moving the market? Um, yes, this is a very sensitive market. And oftentimes it only takes, you know, $500, $1,000, a couple thousand dollars worth of liquidity to move a market. So if someone's not moving a market in markets that sensitive, um, that's maybe something to be cautious about. Um, I would also say, you know, and, and to be fair, like it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not a winner. It could be, it could be that they're not a winner and just like they haven't been discovered, they're not found, but that's probably in the minority case. So for the most part, I think if they're not moving markets, you know, people complain a lot about groups moving markets, but it's also an indication that they're doing something right. Um, the other thing I would say is a lot of times I see, uh, you know, people, maybe weaker betters, you know, everything's a bad beat. You know, every run out's a bad beat. Um, I look for people who are, you know, own up um, to their mistakes. And, you know, oftentimes we are going to make mistakes. We're going to get stuff wrong. We're going to put stuff out there where we didn't quite have the right read on it. Uh, and I know myself and the guys at ETR are, are very good about kind of owning up to say that, you know, this is what we were thinking in this spot. It didn't work out that way. So this is what we're learning from it. But a lot of times what I see, you know, if these Twitter touts is, everything's a bad beat just got so unlucky and for me that's definitely a red flag for somebody who doesn't really uh understand how to be uh critical of themselves and and, and learn from their mistakes i mean 58 percent is crushing that's what people don't realize you, you're, you're gonna lose if you're betting to doing this right and betting a lot of volume to try to win actual dollars you're gonna lose 42 percent of the time and be crushing and just be absolutely crushing and so yeah that that stuff is for sure uh crazy to me dink anything to add for the people out there on things to look out for? I think just in general, like understand that uh, if things appear too good to be true in life, you know, they usually are. 
So just be, you know, have a skeptical eye towards outrageous records, outrageous ROIs, different things like that. Um, and also understand that like sort of, you, you need to understand that any documented play, any any play that is released from anybody out there, the 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 people who are doing this really, really well, the time that you're going to have to get that play and that exact number is going to be pretty limited. So in terms of your results, there's probably going to be a difference between your results and the results of whoever you're following out there simply based on the juice or the line that you're able to get in these situations. And so a lot of times you want to see a margin for error, but a margin for error that is also realistic in terms of the ROI that people are crediting because you want enough margin for error that you can get in there and still be able to, to you know make a, a strong return on investment. And so understanding sort of the way the game works in that when a play is released, there's going to be a limited amount of time to get that play. And then understanding that, you know, you'll, you'll want to be looking for derivatives of that play as well, which is something that I think communities can really help out. And our Discord community is filled with really sharp bettors that understand and talk about different ways to potentially get down on a bet that is released that might not be identical to the bet that is released, but gets you exposure to that position uh, that the that the released play is trying to capture. For sure. I'd add two things, man. And I'm such a skeptic. You know, I'm such a cynic and a negative person. And I try not to believe me, I'm working on it. But every time I see someone's record and I and I understand when people say this about us, too. But I would just assume that it's fake because even if they're, it's a real line, like they're betting openers, uh, which has no liquidity, or they're betting lines that don't exist really, or they only exist on some site that no one can actually get money on. You know, it's like, it, and so I'm such a skeptic and um, a cynic. I would be real careful, even on yeah. quote unquote documented uh, records, because you don't know when yeah. and how the best. Like Especially in the prop space, is you see guys put, like playing unit games, like three units on this and three units on that. Which, like, realistically, you know, unless you're a pretty small stakes better, you're not getting three units down. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, people are playing unit games. I think that's pretty common, like, three units on this, three units on that. I've always tracked one unit flat. I know you guys have yeah. always tracked one unit flat. And so you can kind of see these unit counts at the end of the year. It's like, wow, that looks amazing. But if you start to dig into it, you see they're yeah. sort of playing games with units. And that's common as well. Oh, big time. This was my... 50 star play but this was only my one star play i mean yeah anytime somebody's changing units i just immediately assume it's difficult i think you do sometimes want to express that this play has more confidence and i'm not sure there's a perfect way to do that because like to say like okay well this is a two unit play now and we might have that type of confidence but like realistically nobody can probably get two of their units down on this so it is kind of difficult yeah, would, al- we- would, al- would also highlight there that it's just very unusual for a play to appear in the market that would be like five or ten times better than some other play that's available in the market. And so people that are representing things as if that is the case are are not aligned with what is reality in, in a marketplace like these the. The books that are offering bets out there, yes, they will make mistakes occasionally that will have wide disparities in our levels of confidence, but it's pretty rare, right? Like most of the times we're looking at bets that are generally in a similar range of expected value that we're trying to put out there uh, for subscribers. So I would just understand that it's very unusual. If you see someone that is consistently like one day, this is a five-star play, this is a one-star play, the next day, there's two five-star plays, there's two one-star plays. That's just not real reality of what is available in the market. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I just I just laugh so much about the five fifty star gold gold lock of of the year uh type stuff. Obviously, there's nuance around that um as well. Okay. Last thing I want to say is just we did not set out to do this, you know, like uh, <laughs> it's so crazy that we're doing props because when we started ETR, we were just like we're fantasy guys. We love DFS. We love season-long fantasy. We're going to do that. We brought Dink and Leone on and got to a point where we thought we had the best projections in the entire space. And then it was like, well, if we have the best projections better than the book has, why don't we just start betting props? And this started with, I would just like pull up my app and I would be like, hey, Dink, can you check uh, Carl Anthony Towns' uh, rebounds line? This looks a little off to me. He would look at it, be like, yeah, we have this. And I'd be like, all right. You know, and I just like put a little article on it about ETR, uh, about a prop that we like. You know, it was just like this really small organic thing just because I knew that we had the best projections. I wanted to bet it personally myself. Obviously, betting has gotten outrageously popular. People are beating down our door for this stuff uh, now to try to get access to the projections so that they can bet props. So, yeah, it's just crazy how it's common. And I think that that's an important thing. We are not uh, out here. Uh, we didn't design this just to go out and bet props. We designed this to be the best at fantasy. How it's come now with an entire props team, an entire data side team, uh, an entire NFL team uh, is really crazy. So, yeah, um, excited about this year. I really think that given all the investments we made this offseason, it's going to be our best year for props. Super, super, super excited about it. Mm-hmm. All right. And I just as an outsider uh, co- coming into the inside now, like it's unbelievable the resources that you guys are, are putting into the projections. Like it's really quite wild. And it's no yes. surprise obviously, that, that they're industry leading, but I'm not sure people really comprehend the man hours that goes into this stuff. Yes. Uh, we're now broke, Court. But besides that, everything, everything is good. So, yes. All right. That is going to do it for this props preview 2023 season. Hope this was helpful. Again, do not sign up. I'm begging you. Do not sign up until you read the FAQ. You can find it in the props tab on the site if you are interested. For Dink, for Court, for everyone on the props team at ETR and producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.